Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Roger Greenwell, the Defense Information System Agency's Chief Information Officer, Authorizing Official, and Risk Management Executive. Roger, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jason. Great to join you today. There's a lot going on at DISA. This is uh, one of those agencies that we could talk probably for three shows on, but we only have you for one show, so we will do our best to uh, hit a bunch of different topics. So let's uh, first start with your role as the DISA Risk Management Executive. This is one of those areas that definitely has evolved over the last few years. Talk a little bit about how risk and your risk management executive has really evolved. Yeah, my role in, in as the risk management executive has uh, evolved quite a bit over the last few years. Primarily, when I first took on this role, we were focused really on this on the cyber risk. In April, I took over the the uh, duties of the CIO, and that took and brought about a whole different element of risk, focusing on not just those things that were primarily cyber focused, but also the the operational risk. The usability risk, things in the area of, you know, as an example, 508 compliance, what are we doing to uh, be able to support our uh, challenged workforce, what we're doing in the areas of records management, and making sure that those risks are uh, addressed as well. My responsibilities kind of have evolved also in uh, the work for the department as a whole. From the DISA perspective, I serve as the authorizing official for all of the DISA systems, networks, and enclaves, of which uh, we're uh, above 200 systems that I serve as the authorizing official for. Beyond that, I also serve uh, supporting the DOD as the authorizing official for cloud provisional authorizations. My team actually uh, is involved working with FedRAMP in terms of the DOD assessment component of the FedRAMP Joint Authorization Board. So we've seen uh, a lot of growth in the cloud uh, space over the years and how we've evolved our work with FedRAMP. Uh, We've also seen a lot more interest in our mission partners as they wish to evolve, you know, their systems and take advantage of cloud capabilities. So our work uh, is changing in many ways from focusing on those on-premise systems to starting to look more at software as a service in the cloud, uh, which, you know, definitely has a major impact in terms of how we look at risk. All right, so there's a few things I want to uh, unpack there. First of all, taking over the duties as the CIO, one of the things about DISA that I've noticed is you guys seem to rotate who kind of has that role. Is, is the reason why you were volunteered for that role or you volunteered for that role part of the cyber, part of the risk? Or was there was it just, if you will, and I'll say this in, in most respectfully, your, your turn? I would not say it was necessarily just my turn. I think when you look at DISA being an, an IT agency, you know, there's a lot of, you know, perspectives that the DISA director is in many ways the CIO because, again, the nature of everything that we do within DISA is primarily IT uh, involved. So really everyone plays a, a strong role in elements of the CIO responsibilities. A lot of the decision was based upon, you know, the areas of of risk 
that do need to be addressed. Uh, we also wanted to look at how do we best utilize our senior executive service members in terms of balancing the workload and, and again, what made sense. And the decision was made to, again, realign the CIO responsibilities under my organization to be able to, again, tie in a lot of the cyber risk perspective, but also allowing Dave Bennett, who was the previous CIO, to uh, enhance his focus on the actual operational uh, considerations that we do for our mission partners. So I think uh, for the agency overall, it's very much a win-win in terms of balancing uh, the responsibilities. Does being the risk management executive, as well as the CIO, as well as the authorizing official, does that give you a perspective that maybe another CIO may not have? Because you do, as you mentioned, have to worry about 508 compliance or you have to worry about records management. At the same time, you have to get mission areas, there, the technology they need or your, your partners or your, your customers, just the customers, the, the technology they need as well. How do you kind of balance all those competing priorities, if you will, or competing needs? Well, it, it definitely is a challenge with all of those responsibilities. I'm very fortunate. I have two very well-trained and skilled deputies who assist me in that role, one from as the deputy CIO and the other from the deputy risk management executive view. So together, you know, we're able to try to, again, focus on all of the different factors and, and bring that together. You're right. I do have an insight that many other CIOs may not have because, you know, they've got the CIO responsibilities, but the, you know, the CISO or authorizing official duties are are more separate, uh, even though in many organizations are still reporting to the CIO, uh, I get to live and breathe all of those issues on a daily basis. Which just makes your job probably uh, hopefully fun and uh, never a day that's uh, too bored, right? I'm, I'm never bored. Always plenty of things to get done. Uh, you know, here in the agency, we're trying to, you know, move forward with several different initiatives. So there's never a lack of opportunities and challenges to take on, that's for sure. And we will talk about some of those initiatives uh, later in the program. But for now, let me go stick with this uh, discussion around risk. I've seen that the over the last, I would say, five or seven years, the concept of risk as well as the recognition of risk much different. Before, I think when it could, especially around cyber, it was we know we can't stop everything, but we have to stop everything. And then now it seems to be this move towards, okay, what's most important and let's work kind of inside out. Talk a little bit about the way you guys at DISA have really started to look at risk differently over the last few years. That's a great point. You know, in times past, everything was focused on the elimination of risk. I think that's kind of where you were going to. And, you know, in today's world, you can't eliminate all the risk. You have to be able to manage those risks. And you have to be able to, again, prioritize those things with which you have a limited uh, staff or tools or capabilities to be able to address. So I, I think that's one of the things that we are really trying to focus on is understanding where the threats are. How do we take that information and make sure that, again, we are addressing those key priorities. When we look at things like the risk management framework and the volume of controls that there are to address, 
How do we make sure, that, again, that we are focusing on those key mitigating controls uh, that, uh, I'll say, address the biggest threat? And so that's where, again, I think we're trying to work with DOD CIO in looking at the risk management framework and, and how do we optimize that for the future. You know, again, the number of systems, the the variety of systems, the, the differing capabilities, all of those bring about a different look at risk. Are things systems that are internet facing versus things that are inward facing? Uh, the threat posture is a little bit different for each of those two. So again, we can't apply necessarily the same uh, security controls to every system, but how do we prioritize and make sure that we're applying the most important controls for the most important systems? That's what we're very much focused on. The other thing I would add to that, if I may, uh, again, technology is constantly changing, right? And so we've gotten you know systems that are are being enhanced we've got new programming methods you know agile development is here so how do we evolve our processes uh, and such to be able to keep pace with change that is constantly occurring you know that's our job here in the agency is to support the warfighter and as part of that we have to reevaluate our capabilities and, and change to meet the warfighter's needs. And so how do we manage that risk uh, on a continual basis to, again, making sure that we're putting that capability into the warfighter's hands as quickly as possible? You mentioned that you're working with the DOD CIO and the risk management framework and, and understanding how better to manage risk. Is there is this a formal effort? Is there some kind of working group, some some sort of if you will, recommendations coming, or is this just more informally where the CIOs across DOD get together and talk about these challenges? As the CISO community, we meet pretty much on a every other week basis with the uh, military department CISOs and the DOD level CISO to, again, address areas of opportunity, areas of concern that, you know, we, the collective body of uh, have identified. I think, you know, when we look at what we're trying to do, again, we're trying to bring the community together to say, what are those things that are most important? Where do we need to channel our resources? And, and I think the community as a whole recognizes that the RMF is the right concept. You know, we need to be able to manage risk. Uh, but we also need to be able to do this more effectively. Does that mean that there's a difference in the way that we look at controls? Does that mean that there uh, is a, you know, do, should we change how we authorize systems in terms of uh, bringing systems and capabilities onto the network uh, and conduct our testing? So there are some working groups that are occurring in, in different parts of the community uh, to look at this. And what we're doing with working with DOD CIO is to figure out how do we bring the collective together, the work that the different components have done, 
and being able to leverage that for the good of the department. We have to take a break. My guest is Roger Greenwell, the CIO and authorizing official and risk management executive at the Defense Information Systems Agency. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Roger Greenwell, the Chief Information Officer, Authorizing Official and Risk Management Executive at DISA. One of the other things about risk, and I think that this is something we've we've talked about a lot, is you have to identify risk and then you have to mitigate risk. And when you have agency like the Defense Information Systems Agency, everything can be a risk and you can't mitigate everything. So uh, I'm going to go back to maybe a question that uh, I asked earlier, but let me pose it in a different way. Do you guys have a method or using the risk management framework or, or how are you going about identifying those risks and those risks that are one and one A versus, you know, risk five that, okay, if this happens, this is bad, but the chance of it happening is low, uh, but it could be bad. How are you guys kind of going through that process? I, I think a lot of CIOs and a lot of uh, other risk managers are, are facing similar challenges across government. As we go through the categorization process, you know, we try to identify what are those key factors that are associated with each system because, uh, again, no two systems are alike. Uh, no two systems present the same risk. Something that is a open system such as a public-facing website versus, you know, the backbone Cipernet, naturally the risk of, of each of those two systems are, are extremely different. So part of what we recognize is that we can't we can't apply the same controls uh, around every single system, and a lot of that goes into that categorization and control selection process to understand the system, understand what it's doing, uh, its function, is it internet facing. Uh, what are the threats to that particular system? How, what do we believe the likelihood of attack is and what type of attacks in order to then do the appropriate control selection? Uh, a lot of this stems to the, the challenge of if, if everything's a priority, then nothing's a priority. And so we do have to make that priority determination and be able to, again, focus our efforts around those most critical systems. Now, we have, you know, many of our controls and capabilities are at the enterprise level. So to the extent that we can, we will apply, you know, whatever mitigations we can at the enterprise level and allow that to, uh, you know, propagate and support all the different systems. Uh, In many cases, we'll take information that comes out from a group like Joint Force Headquarters, DOTAN, uh, Department of Defense Information Networks and and take information that comes out of their cyber tasking orders uh, and use that information uh, in order to help us engage risk and drive a lot of the priority actions that we would then be able to follow up with. In many ways, it it really is somewhat of an art, you know, to be able to manage risk. It's never perfect, uh, but again, in the concept of risk management, you're you're really trying to, again, look at that as a balance between making sure that operationally the capabilities are there for the warfighter, and at the same time, we believe we can uh, operate safely and that we have the appropriate mitigations in place 
for the various threats. And you answered my follow-up question in some ways because uh, the example you used about working with uh, GTF Doden, for example, to take some of their information from cyber tasking was part of the question. Can you walk me through maybe if you have a system and, and you, you first categorize the system, then you look at how the system is put together, the functionality. Is it kind of a – do you have a step-by-step process? Is that what the risk management framework is giving you guys? Walk me through how the process works at, at a very high level. The risk management framework actually does – give us that high-level framework that we work with. You know, as we walk through again, this that first step of categorize the system, understanding, you know, the confidentiality requirements, availability, integrity requirements of the system. What is it doing? What is its mission? What is the user community? Uh, what are the needs for authentication around that system, et cetera? and using that to, again, make our control selection. That then, you know, ideally our goal is to always do that as early in the process for any system as possible because, again, that's going to drive then what the developers uh, and implementers are going to work with as they bring those capabilities into play. So, you know, as we move from the categorization, control selection into the implementation phase, you know, again, that's where it's picked up by the responsible entities who are building the capabilities, developing the code, moving into then the assessment, the control implementation, and then from there into the actual authorization and continuous monitoring, where I think we, you know, we're we're facing an evolution is the fact of, you know, cloud development, you know, and agile development methods and the DevSecOps type of role, uh, which many of our processes are almost geared around more of the traditional waterfall type of development where these things occur in sequence and, you know, there's here's a release of code, here's a, 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 do an assessment and implementation and authorization, all of which takes time. But as you move into more of an agile, you know, spiral type of development, you have to be able to change and be able to rapidly make those decisions. And that's where automation and technology is going to play a huge role in terms of that actual assess piece. We still absolutely have to focus on that categorization uh, and understanding of controls up front. But then how do we apply automation as part of the environment, as part of the configuration management controls to help inform that risk decision piece? Because, again, we've got to be able to rapidly make the decision to incrementally change code. And we can't, I'll use the just general term, take forever in going through and doing those type of assessments. So it's causing us uh, to have to relook a lot of our processes and making sure that, again, we're training our our people to be able to uh, recognize these new capabilities and and work with the developers in terms of how they're implementing tools and capabilities in the development environment. I want to go from the, if you will, 
high-level discussion about risk and bring it down another notch. DISA and I think DOD released a uh, memo on, on FedRAMP. It was uh, around reciprocity, which is the, the you know the golden chalice, right? That's been the the goal of FedRAMP and, and a lot of other initiatives over the years is to you know do once, use many. You guys issued the memo in August. Talk a little bit about that memo and, and tell me why you know you think this is so important to getting DISA and DOD more broadly into the cloud. The genesis of that, we really had, you know, that concept in mind when we first started a few years back working with FedRAMP in terms of reciprocity and issuance of authorizations. The the biggest reason we went that route is for speed of adoption. We want to get capabilities into the hands of the developers and the system owners to be able to take advantage of technology, not to wait for DISA to necessarily gather those artifacts and, you know, post a memorandum around the authorization. You know, let's leverage what's already being done at the greater federal government level, uh, allowing individuals, system owners to use the information that's on the FedRAMP website directly rather than, you know, waiting for DISA to do some further analysis and issue a memorandum uh, allowing for that. We made some caveats in there that, you know, you know, that unless explicitly denied by the Department of Defense, you know, anything that's FedRAMP authorized can be used for impact level two type of workload, that more moderate risk uh, information that's, you know, either, again, public facing or it's low confidentiality requirements. Again, trying to bring those those capabilities into the developer's hands much quicker. But it, it does require the mission owners to understand the risk that those systems bring. So, the concept of reciprocity. Reciprocity is an interesting word, uh, and along with inheritance, uh, is kind of a you know word that goes along with this. As mission owners take advantage of those cloud capabilities, they're really leveraging a provisional authorization because they're using that cloud infrastructure differently than what an original authorizing official may have done. So as an example, if GSA were to have authorized the use of cloud provider X, the Navy coming through and wanting to use that same cloud provider is very likely going to be using it in a different context. And again, you know, whether it's infrastructure, platform, software as a service, naturally has an impact as well. But it gives that basis of risk acceptance that has been looked at by that mission owner uh, at GSA and, and providing that those artifacts and information to that DOD mission owner, that authorizing official to be able to say, okay, we understand what those risks are and then be able to basically authorize for the DOD mission owner to actually authorize the use of that leveraging the provisional authorization that was done by the original uh, 
GSA provider. Roger, one of the things about reciprocity is something it's been a long time goal, but it hasn't come through often. It's, you know, I see a memo or I see a handshake, but I don't really believe you. How are you guys? I don't think enforcing is the right word, but how are you encouraging, emphasizing? How are you pushing people toward that reciprocity? Because, again, it's one thing to be like, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. But when it comes down to it, it's not DISO. It's not the jab that gets in trouble or gets called to the Hill or gets a bad IG report or has a breach. It's that agency or that organization. And there is definitely that feeling like we saw with data centers of years ago. You want to hug your server. You definitely want to hug your authorization how are you encouraging other DoD components to to trust but verify? That is, that is the absolute uh, uh, nirvana there to try to be able to, again, get that. And, and I will tell you, it's it's in many ways, I think, as you hinted at, there's, a, there's an, a cultural element to that. And, again, I think more and more what the things that help that are – you know, again, information sharing. I think, you know, I've seen as of the last couple of years, there has become much more uh, dialogue between CISOs and risk managers, security people uh, across the department. You know, so much of it was primary, you know, at, at one point in time, like you said, everybody's focused on their own uh, area of operation. And, you know, I don't care what anybody else says. I'm going to go through and redo this testing because I don't trust anybody. And I think what we're seeing now more and more is people are open to, you know, here's the artifacts. Here's what we tested. Here's how we've done that. And making sure that, again, that dialogue between, you know, whether it's the security control assessor community or the authorizing official community, more and more there's information sharing that occurs there. I think one of the other areas that we've been successful at this is, is in the area of cloud, where we've worked with the mission, some of the mission partners in actually doing cloud assessments as we move above an impact level two up to an impact level four not just DISA doing that assessment, but actually bringing those mission partners in and having them participate with us in doing a joint assessment. I think that's gone a long ways towards building a sense of trust between entities. You know, we had uh, a case where a joint assessment was done between DLA, the Air Force, and DISA, uh, and then the Army Corps of Engineers joined in on that. So, again, being able to share information, share those artifacts during the assessment process has gone, has, has gone to really improve the relationship. And I think, you know, others then are able to leverage that and they have greater trust and say, well, it's not just one entity that did that assessment. Uh, it's multiple entities. They've teamed together. They've, this is a, you know, a view expressed by all. So I think there's, you know, a lot of progress in that. You know, there's more to be made. Mr. Deasy level, Jack Wilmer's level, you hear from them the importance of reciprocity. I think we're starting to hear more and more from the service CIOs the importance of reciprocity as well. Again, you know, being able to look at those results, have access to that information, 
and allow them to make a much quicker informed decision. Because again, they're, they have in mind the same goal that we do, which is ultimately getting capability out to the warfighter as quickly as possible. We have to take a break. My guest is Roger Greenwell, the CIO and authorizing official and risk management executive at the Defense Information Systems Agency. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Roger Greenwell, the Chief Information Officer, Authorizing Official and Risk Management Executive at DISA. Roger, we've uh, spent a lot of time talking about risk. Risk management's a hot topic, but you do so much more than just risk and cyber risk management. What are some of your other parties you're looking to get done over the next six or nine months? From the, Just uh, real quick, from the security standpoint, uh, we are looking at, at improving some of our uh, information flow and information sharing around our cloud assessment process and how we make that information, uh, you know, improve the visibility of that information for uh, all of those uh, authorized officials and control assessors across the department. So we do have some work that we're uh, working on in that space, and that's definitely one of my priorities. Uh, Again, you know, we talked a little bit about reciprocity. How do I make that information uh, more readily available and easier to use for our mission partners? So that is definitely one of my priorities. Uh, As we, you know, as DISA embarks on the fourth estate network optimization, uh, you know, there'll be a lot of work that goes on in terms of bringing uh, uh, agencies and field activities onto this new uh, DOD network that DISA is effectively standing up. Uh, so working with uh, the other CIOs and authorizing officials across uh, the different field activities and agencies to make sure they understand uh, exactly what we're doing, uh, being able to you know share information uh, and make sure that again we're addressing their needs and ultimately what the capabilities that we put in place, they understand and and, uh, and can, ex- you know, if you will, accept the risk because, again, they're man- managing the responsibility for their mission system still, and they want to understand that the capabilities that we're providing uh, aren't putting those mission systems at risk. So a, a lot of work uh, to be done in that effort and making sure that all goes smoothly. And then as we evolve our our network uh, and the enterprise use of other enterprise services, uh, you know, the DOS, DISA will eventually be migrating to DOS. So that is a priority for me to make sure that, you know, our transition to that capability goes smoothly uh, and that we share our lessons learned uh, across the broader department. So those are a few of the key things that I'm focused on, uh, as well as some of the opportunities, again, around how do we uh, improve our, you know, Section 508 compliance? Uh, what means do we have of, of being able to better assess uh, systems for 508 compliance? What can we do in the area of uh, better enabling assistive technologies and ensuring that uh, they work well with um, things like our STIGs, um, making sure that, again, those, those products are ready to be able to support 
the workforce as needed. Okay, so a couple things to dig out of there. First of all, Fourth Estate Network optimization. I remember at the Dis Industry Day hearing kind of the, the initial kind of thoughts, the strategy around that. Where are you guys down that path of the Fourth Estate Network optimization? So at this point, uh, the the effort is underway. DISA is building out uh, elements of the network, and the migrations uh, will be uh, elements of those migrations will be starting here in the next upcoming months uh, to bring on some of the initial customers and uh, a lot more work still to be done in that space. But this is rapidly moving out with working the efforts to bring on uh, the initial components that are uh, in the timeline. And around DOS, I know you can't talk about it, it's under protest, but just taking a half a step back from the contract, are you guys doing things today to prepare for the eventual transition? Is there things that you from a seat wearing your CIO's hat or a risk management hat that you can say, here are you know five things we can do no matter when the contract gets up and running? At a high level, you know, recognizing that, again, we're, we're looking at utilizing, you know, a variety of services. Uh, you know, that are more around the productivity type of tool. So uh, one of the biggest priorities for me is under, you know, trying to understand how uh, best our workforce can operate. Uh, Do we need tools that are resident on a person's desktop? Uh, Can they work with tools that are only accessible via the cloud? Uh, and trying to understand some of those types of things from a, a business and a costing perspective. Uh, that's one of the, the areas that I'm focused on right now uh, in preparation for uh, whatever the DLS acquisition brings us. Uh, but, you know, I need to make sure that, again, our workforce is able to do its mission uh, and that they can do it well. Uh, at the same time, are there ways that I can do that in a cost-effective manner? And if I can improve my risk posture as a result of that, uh, then that's all goodness as well. And 508 compliant has been one of those things that have really – agencies have kind of ebbed and flowed. They seem to uh, jump on it, and then things kind of fall off, and they jump on it. Is there any reason why you have a new focus on 508 or – uh, probably new is not the best word, continued focus or re-energized focus. Give me a sense of why 508 has risen uh, among your priority list, besides the fact it's important. Well, yes, I've, no- I've known a couple of people who have been affected by, you know, being uh, challenged in some way, uh, whether that's through being blind uh, or hearing, et cetera. And I've watched a number of the actions that we've done here in the agency to to be able to take care of, of that. Uh, for people, and I think the agency has done very well. Uh, I think I've seen other cases where things have been more challenging than they should have been, uh, trying to make sure that a product uh, can run, as an example, on a staked platform, or what uh, are there, you know, I'll call it stig settings that we may need to uh, relaxed in certain cases in order to allow an assistive technology to work. So, uh, you know, recognizing those types of things, I uh, really want to try to, you know, do what 
we can to be able to assist with that. Uh, a member of my staff was recently recognized at the uh, DOD level for her work in uh, the uh, 508 compliance type of actions, uh, along with you know approximately 23 other members across the department, and uh, that in turn actually uh, incentivizes me even more to be able to uh, try to again make sure I use what power I can in order to make this. Uh, you know, make assistive technologies more readily accessible for those people who need to use those capabilities. Very nice. I think also, I think the emergence of cloud, AI, machine learning, all those kind of buzzwords also would require agencies to maybe take a half a step back and say, how does 508 fit into these things? And are the cloud providers, are the, the tool providers addressing 508 challenges or 508 requirements as well? Does that play into it as uh, into your thinking? It absolutely does. Um, again, we're we're going to be taking more advantage of, of software as a service. Uh, so, you know, again, as those capabilities uh, come out, what what can we do to actually uh, better assess the compliance of those uh, with certain requirements of 508? Uh, but then again, like you said, you know, how do the assistive technologies actually work? with the different cloud capabilities. And uh, we're much better off as a department to get ahead of that now uh, than trying to uh, catch up after the fact. Uh, you know, the department is a strong supporter of, you know, veterans and, and uh, you know, people with, you know, challenges. So we wanna make sure that we are doing our part uh, to try to help address that as early as possible. We have to take a break. My guest is Roger Greenwell, the CIO and authorizing official and risk management executive at the Defense Information Systems Agency. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Roger Greenwell, the Chief Information Officer, authorizing official and risk management executive at DISA. Stigs, you mentioned that a couple times, security technical implementation guides for the people who don't remember what, the, what that acronym stands for. They have very much evolved in, in a big way over the last three or five years, I would say. And now even automation is going to come into play and really help out to ensure compliance. So it's it's really a, a big change. Talk a little bit about that evolution of the Stigs and where do you see the, the this evolution continuing in the future? Where I see stigs going is moving. You know, today we uh, spend a lot of effort in being able to publish the stigs and making sure that people have the information in order to uh, be able to configure their systems uh, properly. And then it also serves not only to be able to configure them properly, but then for, you know, the security control assessor community to be able to come back through and actually test uh, compliance. You know, we're trying to move into the area of, of how do we enable uh, better uh, adoption of the STIGs, uh, you know, things like through Ansible playbooks, allowing people to, again, leverage automation to be able to apply the STIGs. Uh, how do we actually uh, start to build out secure containers, uh, pre-configured containers that already are 
if you will, stig compliant, uh, allowing uh, entities to be able to use those containers and have a library, if you will, of secure containers. That's a, another DISA initiative that's being uh, uh, ran in a different part of the agency, but it all ties back into that secure configuration guidance uh, to be able to make sure that, again, as we're putting systems up on the network, uh, that they are as secure as possible. So we are definitely, uh, you know, moving in that direction uh, to take advantage more of automation. And then also being able to, again, work with uh, a variety of, you know, industry partners to be able to develop that guidance and, uh, again, be able to, you know, help our the DOD community at large be able to, again, implement as many products as possible in the most secure manner possible. Roger, one thing that comes up as you talk about STIGs and you talk about all the 508 and all the different priorities you have is it comes back to the workforce. you got to have the right people in the right positions who are motivated, who are excited to be there. Can you give me a sense of how you guys are managing that workforce piece? I, I will tell you, I... Yeah, I'm. I am very proud of of my workforce, uh, and not just you know the workforce within the risk management executive and CIO's office, but the agency at large. Um, specifically, my team they are faced with a lot of challenges. Uh, you know, as you, uh, I can imagine again a lot of changes, uh, a lot of activities going on within the agency. And, uh, you know, everyone's coming forward with their priorities as being that number one priority. And, and so, uh, you know, the, the workforce uh, keeping their head high and trying to uh, make sure that we address all the priorities uh, as quickly as we can, but yet as thoroughly as we can as well. Uh, I think, you know, they, they've done an, an outstanding job with that. Uh, and again, the interaction with others across the agency. Uh, cyber is absolutely a team sport, and you know it's not something my team does alone. Uh, you know, from Admiral Norton on down, uh, you know, the leadership is committed to you know the importance of cybersecurity and the importance of trust in the workforce. And, and I'm very proud to say I have a lot of trust in my workforce. I, I know they are very capable of, uh, of, of handling the mission, and we will continue to do everything that we can to uh, enable the warfighter. That, that's our job. That's our mission. And uh, we're going to continue to do the best job that we can with that. All right, very good. Uh, Roger, I'm sure we could talk longer, but unfortunately I think we're out of time for today. So let me thank my guest, Roger Greenwell. The CIO, Authorizing Official, and Risk Management Executive at the Defense Information Systems Agency. Roger, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks. It was great to join you today. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. If you look around, there are so many ways to make a difference. At Capella University, our FlexPath format gives you a different way to earn your degree. Take courses at your speed. Move on whenever you're ready. 
Education should fit your life. Learn more at capella.edu.